So I was like, wow. It was just, it was fascinating to hear that because I enjoy that part of the game as well because I was very meticulous in different things. I knew certain guys who like a rhythm dribble. I knew that Kobe wanted to get to that right elbow. And if I was there, he was going to pump fake, pump fake, then go into his shot. I knew that Dirk Nowitzki wanted his left hand more than anything else. I knew that Ray Allen didn't like the physicality of the game. These are things that I knew because of the meticulous way that I viewed the game and watched how to prepare for certain guys. So it is a challenge each time I play golf to have that mental aspect of, okay, it's a pin this way. Where's the trouble? Where do I want to miss? And so it's something I'm continuously working on each time I play because it doesn't happen all the time. This week on the Birdie Dads podcast, we sit down with basketball star Bruce Bowen, who played for the San Antonio Spurs. We talk kids, golf, and he explains the similarities of guarding the best in the NBA to making a 10-foot putt. Bruce also shares the three hardest players in the NBA he ever had to guard. You will never guess who number three was. This is an episode to share with other dads who grew up watching Bruce in all those NBA finals like we did. Now let's get into that interview. You're listening to the Birdie Dad Podcast. They can't make a birdie, but they can dad. And now your hosts, Jared, Brian, and Trevor. I'm Jared, and with me is my co-host, Trevor. This week, our co-host, Brian, is unable to make it on the show, but we are joined by guest and three-time NBA champion, current dad, and golfer, Bruce Bowen. Welcome to the show, Bruce. Hey, thanks for having me, fellas. Really appreciate this new venue of Golf Dad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're both golf dads. Um, I've got a daughter that's two. Trevor's got uh, two daughters. And Brian, who's normally with us, he has two sons. And we all love golf and parenting. Yeah. So So I I joke. I fall on the side of of, of Brian then. Right. Because it's it's all boys here. It's all boys. All boys. (laughs) Four of them. My oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy is correct. I mean, oh, when they're together, when they're together, it's, it's chaos. And, <laughs> you know, just when you start to lose your, Hey, just when you're about to hit that three putt, then they kind of settle down a little bit and know that they got y'all riled up. They, they kind of behave a little bit. Mm. So Bruce, you have played at the highest level of competition with and against the elite talent. But why golf? What got you into this game? You know, I, when I first tried golf, I tried it at a very nice, I call it a swanky course here in, in, uh, in San Antonio area called Cordillera Ranch. And Cordillera is the home of, um, oh, goodness, I forget his name now. But um, he, uh, it's a sweet course. It's, a, it, it's, it's so beautiful. And now I think it's one of the best in San Antonio. And so for me, my introduction to golf was that course. And I'm going to tell you this, I was a player then, and I didn't want anything to do with that course after eight holes. I had blisters on my hands. I'm, I'm trying to strangle the club and the ball just won't listen to me. So uh, I quit after nine holes. And I remember a buddy of mine was like, hey, you, you don't quit here. I was like, <laughs> I'm, at that time, I was a two-time champ. I said, 
two-time champs could quit what they want to, especially right. when it's not their sport. So uh, I, I go back out with a friend for his birthday, and I hit about three shots that felt like I knew what I was doing. And from that point on, I said, you know what, I'm going to go get lessons, and let's see where this takes me. And it's taken me all over the world, or I shouldn't say it's taken me all over the world, but it's hard to really fathom life without golf for me now. My wife is constantly talking about, oh, you're going to go play golf. Oh, you're going to hit balls. She doesn't understand that you got to keep a rhythm. <laughs> and even when you don't have a rhythm, you got to keep something. So uh, it's, it's been a great replica of life. I think it's allowed me to really have a little bit more patience with life and society and to understand that it's only during the moments of calm that we're able to accomplish the most important goals in life. Was it always just basketball for you as a, as a kid with sports? I mean, where did you find success in sports with school? I, I'm a Valley kid. So being a Valley kid, it was baseball. So I, my first love was baseball. And I tell people this, and they're always shocked. Uh, my cousin, Ryan Bowen, he was out of Hanford. He, he went straight from high school to the major leagues. He played with the Houston Astros as well as the Florida Marlins. And for me, it was always, hey, bada, 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 swing. I was a, I was an athletic shortstop uh, pitcher, and I didn't feel right if I came home clean. So uh, it was baseball first, and basketball was, was a close second. I mean, we played basketball all the time. So it wasn't until I think w when success happened for me in basketball was I was in L.A. at the time uh, going to school to Cleveland High, same, same high school as <laughs> uh, 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 Swaggy P, as, but we're, we're long apart. But uh, <laughs> Lucius, Harris, Lucius Harris was a teammate of mine that summer. And conditioning, conditioning is where – it, it, it something spoke to me right then and there saying, hey, if you truly want something, you're going to have to go to to points within yourself that you never thought you could explore, that you never thought you could get to. And we ran for two hours without a basketball in sight. Coach Braswell, Bobby Braswell, who I'm still very good close friends with right now, he, it, it was like incredible how he pushed you and the result was you recognized that you could accomplish things as well, even when at first maybe you didn't think you could. So that was one of the turning points my sophomore summer. And I, I was a 5'10 freshman, sophomore. And from that summer to my junior year, I grew to 6'4". So uh, I hear kids talk about uh, growing pains. I don't know what that was. I know what hunger pains are, but – I didn't know what growing pains were at that time. And, and from that point on, it was – I went to Edison High School in, in Fresno, California. We were a dominant team in basketball. And our baseball team really – we were really bad at the time. And I remember I was playing varsity as a sophomore uh, – excuse me, as a freshman. And I remember this guy pitched, as I said, and, uh, this guy hit a double, another guy hit a triple. Part of those doubles and triples were because our, our outfielders – we're, we're trying to use their ha bare hands to catch balls. But when you lined up back then, you would shake hands and good game, good game, good game. These guys had nerves say, hey, thanks for the triple. Thanks for the double. <laughs> and, and right then and there, I was kind of like, yeah, maybe it's time for me to look at something else. <laughs> so <laughs> basketball is what it was. So 
when you were 10, 11, 12 years old, you weren't playing golf, obviously. What would have got you to play? What That question, how do we get kids to play? What would have interested you? You know, and this is now I'm going to delve into the other side that my grandmother's husband, he wasn't my biological grandfather. He played golf. And, and, and to this day, I still, I kind of frown upon the fact that because I wasn't his biological grandson, he didn't want to teach me that game. You know, and I was, I didn't become his grandson until I started to succeed in sports. So for me, you know, as a youngster, I think it's great to introduce them. Hey, at least give them an opportunity to kind of test the water. I take my boys to the range and we hang out and we have a good time. And after about 25 minutes, they're, they're in the, in the, in the uh, cafe part of the, of the club eating and running up the bill. So <laughs> at, least, at least they're being exposed to it because I think like this, no matter what you do in life, you're going to come across someone that may possibly play golf. And if you have the basics and the fundamentals, it won't be as frustrating as it is without the fundamentals and the basics. Yeah. So Bruce, you said you had four boys, right? Yep. What ages are they right now? So we have 15, 13, nine, and seven. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, you're busy. Yeah. You're busy, man, for sure. Uh, so if you rolled out a basketball to them at, or golf clubs, would they take the basketball or the golf clubs and go oh, practice? Man, they, they might dive on the floor for the ball. And, okay. and I can't get them to dive on the floor for a loose ball at practice. But, <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, it goes in ebbs and flows. I, I think uh, my third, Max, he enjoys it the most. And Bruno, the youngest, is just he's, – he's all opposite right now. It's like, hey, Bruno, let's go play golf. No, I don't like mm-hmm. golf. But he, he, he enjoys it. Uh, same thing with basketball. We all had basketball practice yesterday. So I coach all of them in different age groups. And, you know, uh, seeing their progress, uh, again, with golf, I think golf has helped me with my patience where I can get on the – the older group, the 15 and 13 year old groups, I can really lay into them. But at the same time, I can find joy in a three man weave with the younger groups. So that, and, and also when I'm at the course with them, I'll put them in a setting where they're having a lesson. That way it's more fun for them. And it's a little competitive. So the, the head pro at the time was like, all right, if anybody can chip it into the bucket, they'll get $5. Well, Three of them chipped it into the bucket. <laughs> and so th- those are little victories, I believe. And so if you're getting those little victories, I think it's, it's fantastic for the game of golf. Yeah. Well, follow-up question. If I roll out a basketball for you now or a bag of clubs on the range, what, 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 are, you, what are you choosing? Um, I'm looking at the, the label on the clubs before I grab them. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. That so was it. Was, was, <laughs> was, no, of course, man, I'm too, that, that, that basketball is, is past my time. And so it's all about, I, I love golf. And, you know, I notice uh, behind uh, your, you, behind you, you have a Peloton. Oh, and yeah. Yeah, I see it, baby. Yeah. I just, yeah. I just got off the Peloton. So N- nice. I, I, I send uh, my numbers to some of my golf buddies and I'll go walk 18. And so okay. they're like, you know, I'm sending a message out there. Hey, golf is a sport and we can continue to play it as a sport instead of zipping around from time to time on the carts. It's no offense to the carts. But I think that when it comes to walking and golf, 
if you hit a bad shot, now you got a chance to observe and kind of understand what transpired as compared mm-hmm. to you hopping back in the car and zipping to that next shot. Yeah. And you're still a little frustrated from that shot that puts you in the bushes. Right. So you're gripping it harder the next time because you just got out of the cart. You know, you're ready to roll. Exactly. I want to, yeah. So you get, get me. It. Yeah, I get you. I get you for sure. So with being dad, what's your favorite story you tell your kids from your experiences, your your professional experiences, your life experiences? What what is the favorite moment you you like to uh, go through with them and teach them that lesson? You know, as a father, you understand now that. You, you might have a bag of stories that you think you want to reach into to give them a certain lesson, but it's, it's really what, what you're living and what's going on in your society right now. And today is a difficult time uh, for kids as compared to when I was a kid. And, and I say it from this standpoint, uh, I didn't worry, or I should say my, my family didn't worry about me going to the store, walking at the time. Uh, my son, my oldest walked his friend home and his friend lives less than, than a quarter of a mile away from us. And, and I, and, you know, I was thrilled that he was like, Hey, can I walk him home? Sure. Absolutely. Because those are kind of things that I did as a kid. And, uh, uh, I don't know where this emotion came from for me, where once he got out of sight, you know, we live in a society that, you know, my kids are, are ethnic and they, it's a possibility of something, something can happen because of the color of their skin. And I never imagined a life like that because that's not something that I went through. But what it does more than anything else is it allows an open dialogue to really talk to our kids about the importance of being present. And so being present for me is being able to talk about certain things that are going on that I can relate to a time where it was unfortunate. And so I know to answer the question is I don't have a go-to, but I utilize so many different examples of what's going on today because when I talk about when I played, my kids really can't grasp hold of that because they're not in tune to it that way. I showed Ohani a picture of himself. He used to watch the 2003 video, uh, uh, the championship video of, I think it was 07. He would watch that every single day. He carried the case around with him everywhere we went. And I just so happened to have a picture and I showed him yesterday and he immediately went to the DVD. He said, oh, I used to watch that all the time, huh? He's like, yes, you did. Now, he still doesn't really, I, I don't think he grabs hold of what I did to that, and he's, he's 15. And, and I say it because he saw something on YouTube or he saw something on uh, Instagram and he sent it to me as I, wow, that's pretty cool, Poppy, what you did there. And, and I'm like, but son, you lived it, but it doesn't matter because they weren't, you know, they weren't at a point of really registration of what transpired during that time. So in all of this, I say, I just try to give different things that are going on today for the kids that I can hopefully relate it to something that they're doing right now. Yeah. And you're coaching high school sports right now, aren't you? I am. Yeah. I yeah. Am. Basketball guys or girls? Boys. Boys. Uh, okay. uh, and, and I didn't realize how emotional we were as teenagers until yeah. I started coaching. I, yeah. had, I, had a, I had a situation today. I had a point, my, one of my point guards 
Now we have a kid that's that's at six nine, and he was on the same side as this guard. All the guard had to do, I, I can understand the turnover trying to get it to our big man, but instead he's going to try to throw it across court to a player that's not as tall as he is, which is about five eight, and it's in the trees. And I said, why on earth would you throw that pass? I said, duh, 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 don't answer me. I said, don't answer me because you might say something that really makes sense to you. And it just frustrates me. So I, I'm, I'm, I go back and forth to, hey, what were you thinking when you were 15? What were you thinking when you were 16? And that, I just think we were taught a different way. <laughs> we were taught through fear, fear of conditioning. Whereas today's kids, they don't have that fear. So it's like a turnover to them is just, eh, okay. I only got one. or only had three. And for me, you were sitting next to the coach at three. Right. No, that's what my lead in was like, you know, you've had this experience with coaching boys. And I guess, you know, you have boys that are maybe a little bit younger are right at that age. Like, how have you used your experience as coach to kind of become a little better dad and use some practices as a dad? It's the examples of when I was playing and I think it's so important that especially high school kids see who you are I, I think we overlook the aspect that kids you, you might be able to fool them a little bit but at some point they understand the true character of who you are and so maybe that might mean we have rap sessions at practice where you know what I put the balls up and we sit down we just talk we talk about what's going on we talk about the impact of certain events in life. And, and I talk about, you know, and I, I really open myself up and I say to the point where when Kobe passed away, it's still hard for me. It's still hard for me because, Ooh, these are things that you just don't. Uh, oh, one of the greatest basketball players that ever played a game. He won't be with us. We don't think of that. And so when that happened, you know, I was very emotional with my kids. And, and, and I think when players get a chance to see a coach in that, that moment being vulnerable, they too get a chance to understand that vulnerability is not a bad thing. But it's, it's something that's necessary in life for us to be able to experience things to the utmost. And so I'm able to convey a lot of those scenarios with our kids and because deep down inside a lot of these kids' parents were fans of me and fans of the San Antonio Spurs. So I'm giving them things that their parents don't even know. And so when they share with their parents, it's kind of like, oh, my goodness. Uh, but on the flip side, I hold our kids accountable. And that's the only way that I know of individuals really reaching the peaks of where they can is if you hold them accountable. I think a lot of that translates to being a, a great dad as well. You know, listening to your kids, being vulnerable and, and holding them accountable. You're right on. Uh, those are all pieces that we've, as we've talked to different people, translate to being a good dad, a good parent, a good coach. See, I, I'm a 70s baby. And, and so in the 70s, kids were to be seen and not heard. There are, there are many a times where I didn't know what I was talking about because I was a kid. I, I, I try to be a little bit more sensitive to some of the things that the kids may endure right now or the questions that they may have. 
my wife is very good at that. She, she has that ability. But then again, I think we're all wired differently, especially when we talk about men and women. Those are some of the things that I learn and I take from her as far as being able to, you know, instead of going off, let's, let's see what's going on first before you go there. So I, I gotta, I gotta ask, you're getting on the, bas- <laughs> the basketball thing. I, I know we're a golf podcast, but who, who's your, who's your top three toughest defender or d- d- uh, guys oh, to defense? MJ number one. Okay. Kobe, Kobe number two. And I th- I, the third one is hard because, you know, I, I think about LeBron, but I didn't have LeBron at this stage. I didn't have LeBron in his prime. So I knew the physical aspects of what LeBron was. Once he understood the game, he was going to be something else because when we played him in the finals, he was not accustomed to playing with his back to the basket. That took some years. Uh, but someone that, that was and could get anywhere he wanted was Jamal Mashburn. Oh, Jamal oh, Mashburn. Nice. You okay. know, yeah, Monster yeah. Mash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and I knew what he wanted to do, but even knowing what he wanted to do, it was still a task because I was giving up 40 pounds possibly. And so he banged me, but as soon as he banged, he created quick separation to get his shot off. So it's, it's interesting when I talk about Michael, Michael's ability to understand exactly what the defender wanted to do was pretty interesting because not a lot of people studied a defender or understood that. Uh, Kobe, you know, I talk about when people say, well, who was the greatest as far as I'm concerned, it was, it was MJ because MJ didn't have a shack. See, you have a shack on the floor. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> it's, man, I've never seen someone at, in his prime as athletic as he was. I remember one time Anthony Carter, we were in Miami, and he went to double team and to foul him real quick and try to grab his forearm. Shaq was already in his move of going up. He went up and dunked the ball with with Anthony Carter hanging on his arm. And <laughs> AC's eyes opened up to another level because he was going in the air and not because of his jumping ability. So, so I, I say that, uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's all relevant to your time of play. You know, I played against the wings during my time. You, you know, you talk about yeah. Vince Carter. Trace McGrady, Ray Allen, Ray Allen, Allen yeah. Iverson, mm-hmm. Damon Stoudemire. I mean, come yeah. on, man. It, it was some dogs there. Yep. Yeah. So you got, you got the hardest guys day in and day out. And uh, man, that's gotta be a, a mental. I mean, I guess that's every night you're going through a mental challenge. Who do I have next? Right. You're always going to see the mental challenge then is, is not as difficult as a 30 yard pitch, you know, uphill, <laughs> And, and you're shooting around of your, of your career and, and, and it's just the nerves in a sport that you're not accustomed to. See, every time I play an event and I tee it up, my hand is shaking because, oh, the, the nerves. My first pro-am here in San Antonio, I played, uh, it was a Champions Tour at Oak Hills. And it's just, it's a short par, uh, uh, par four on the first hole at Oak Hills and it's an iron shot. But I mean, my goodness, man, I had never felt my knees shake or when I'm putting, I feel the nerves, but I can't recall a time where I felt that in basketball. And, and so that's the beauty about golf is that 
it really exposes your inabilities and it really, I mean, it exposes your weaknesses. So when that guy that never pulls out his driver on any hole, you say, hmm, oh, he has issues with that club. Not that you're like, ha, 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 but it's really amazing how the game of golf, it can make people change up who they are. Right. Changing up it, who you uh, It depends if he's your playing partner or your opponent, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so, you know, and that, I think the beauty of golf is, hey, if you never work out with what's going on within, you'll never, you'll never, I think, find joy and satisfaction in that game. Even if that person is taking a three-wood each and every time, He's going to he's going to wonder in his head, man, I, I wonder if I could have got my driver out there. What would have happened? Absolutely. OK, take it back to your your experience now and you're playing and you're, you play with a lot of your former teammates. So who's your who's your playing partner that you're taking in a tournament right now? One of your former NBA guys. Oh, one of my former NBA guys that I'm taking. Yeah, right now, your number day, one partner. All, all day, every day, Michael Finley. Okay, Michael Finley. Michael, right. Michael Finley. And, and see, because if you ever watch Michael, he's quiet on the court. I mean, we're going dunk on guys and then didn't say a word to him. What? No, uh, none of that. He just dunk on it. He get back. Let's go. Let's go. Let's play the game. Now, on the golf course, Finn whispers stuff to himself and it cracks me up. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Come on. Now, that's just stupid, stupid, stupid. Come on, Finn. And I look around, I said, Ben, it's just us. He's like, man, sh- you know, I, I had that shot the other day. And I did the exact same thing. And you hear the things that Ben will say. And it's, just, it's hilarious to me. But Ben's my guy. And he understands the, the difficulties of the game. And so he loves the game. And because he loves the game, you know, if we could, we would golf you know, seven days a week. But we know that we can't do that because that just enables the bad habits. So Mm -hmm. we got to have time off to do the other things. Nice. So with your golf game, you talked about when you started, you were terrible and then you you unlocked that. Now today, (laughs) kind of from there to today, what's that one aha piece of golf that you learned? Something that just changed, even if it was yesterday, what's the one piece of your game, the best tip you've come away with? Oh man, you now that's you know you can't ask that question. What's the one thing? It's <laughs> the one thing. It's, it's, it's you know, things. it's it's you know exactly. Uh, but I, I think one of the things that I'm always uh, cognizant of is making sure you know I stay on top of the ball and and right. not swaying or dipping. Uh, that dip, ooh, it leads to it leads to you quickly realizing what you did. Uh, but it's okay. The one thing I'm gonna go with this. The one thing is that sound that the ball makes when it comes to short game. If you're pitching, it's a click. Mm-hmm. It's not a. It's not a thump. The thump. It, the thump should be in the sand trap. But <laughs> it's that click, man. And you hear it and you feel it. I, I I tell people this. Whenever we're playing, I say, you know, getting up and down. I don't care if it's for a bogey. I'm thrilled. You know, you get up and one putt, I'm old. Oh, that is, I said, it is like back in the day when I ordered 
a nine piece nugget from McDonald's and I ended up with 11 pieces in there. <laughs> That's a win, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that click, when you experience that click and you know it changes the game for you, I 100% agree. Even if it's only uh, once around, it keeps you coming back. That's for sure. And, and that is the beauty of it. It's that one shot where, you know, obviously you try to limit the, the big numbers, but sometimes you have those big numbers. And as amateurs, I wish that we could accept that more and accept the fact that maybe we should watch a little bit more LPGA golf because that's more realistic for us. And I say for us from the standpoint that, Women, they're not hitting the 300-yard bombs consistently, but we'll, we'll watch, you know, the PGA Tour pros and, and we want to do what they do. Well, it's harder to do what they do, but you can see different parts of your game if you did pay attention to what the women are doing. And, and that's not a slight to anyone, obviously. It's just the, it's the, it's the fundamentals and the foundation. I love watching – you know, the, what, what they get up and down like it's nothing. And the more you can see that, the more you can see certain things that, that kind of relate to you, I think the better off we are. I, I think, think you're uh, totally right. Oh, go ahead, Jared. I was going to say, I think uh, Rick Riley, the old Sports Illustrated author, he wrote about that as well. He said, if you ever want to really, you know, fine tune your game, it's to go spend some time with LPGA. And you're right on. He talks about the fundamentals are there. They're key and they develop the, the pieces that we we overlook. Yeah. How many times do we see them with a 40-yard pitch and it looks like they're barely trying to move the ball from here to there? I, I'm amazed. I'm amazed at the the dynamics of golf. Like to follow through, that's how you're going to get your distance. Not let me let me hold all this breath in and I'm gonna squeeze this club so tight and ugh. yeah. It's not, it's, it's the simple, it's the pendulum. It's, it's the simplicity of it. But, you know, us being men, we can't understand that. It's too simple. Hey, Bruce, I always like to kind of ask our guests about their past and how they would compare it, like what they can compare it best about their, your basketball experience to golf. Like, how do you, what do you think is the closest thing between the two sports? Uh, the mental game. The mental game is the is is ultimately where all sports end. It's everybody. I mean, you look at the NBA level; everybody's athletic. You know, obviously, you have more talented individuals, but the way that you're able to for that one moment where it uh, where you know so many have had that that one breakthrough against the greats, uh, whether it's you know. Jack Nicholas, Tom Arnold, uh, Tom Watson, uh, Arnold Palmer. It, it's always that one moment where that one guy who, who wasn't a star because he wasn't that talented, but his mental game allowed him to play on Sunday with one of the world's greatest. And maybe the mental game wasn't on par for the, the world's greatest. And they, they missed out on that one opportunity, but when you can dial in in between the ears and not make the moment more grand than it should be and keep it simple to the point where you understand that you've hit hundreds and hundreds of balls, you've shot hundreds and hundreds of shots, where it's just not another day, but it is more about what's gone on before this moment 
so that you don't add more to the moment. Okay. I, I like that. I think, uh, that's something that I always struggle with is trying the mental game. I mean, it's, it's, it's why I'm an amateur, right? So I'm always thinking about the last game and always making it grander than it should be. It should just be about, okay, I have a 30 yard chip here. I got to figure this out. And I'm always thinking about the last drive I, I pulled, you know, and, and we, and we call that short-term memory, you know, moving on. I've, I've shot an air balls from three and then knocked down a huge three. And it was because I didn't, I didn't linger on that one air ball. And I tell this to young golfers, uh, Jimmy Walker was the individual I was talking about, the member of Cordillera. You know, as, I've, as I talk to golfers and, and younger golfers, the young kids, you know, they see guys and they emulate them. So if they got upset, those kids are trying to emulate what they saw as far as getting upset. And I, and I share with them, I said, you know what? If you put pressure on yourself for missing that three-foot putt, the next time you get that three-foot putt, you're going to add even more pressure to yourself because you're upset and things. And I say, try this. If you miss that three-foot putt, try. I hope I get another opportunity at that. That changes the perception and how we are going about those things. I, I, I had this, this one hole at a course I belong to, Briggs Ranch, and uh, on 11 – it's a par five and I hit a huge drive into the wind and I'm not a big, I'm not consistently long. So it was a good drive. And then I hit a three wood, great three wood rolled up to the, to the fringe. And I'm just, because it's so smooth. I use that good old Texas wedge putter. Now our greens are a little quick, Would you believe that I'm putting for Eagle and I walked away from there with a bogey. I, I believe four it. Put it. <laughs> I mean, I've seen it. I mean, I've done so, it. <laughs> so, so I remember one of one of my uh, one of my uh, partners said, "Oh, Bruce, I know you are just fuming inside." And honestly, I wasn't. I said, "You know, Steve, I hope I have another opportunity or something like that." Yeah. And he kind of looked at me because he, well, wow, I, I would have been pissed. See, getting pissed doesn't help the the situation. What can I take from the situation? Number one, I shouldn't have blown by the hole so far on the first putt. So now on the second one, which I should know better, that's downhill, not to blow it by again. And then the lack of concentration on a shorter putt. So it's not, you know, I I don't think it's a situation where I should get upset is I hope I have another opportunity at that. Do you have any process you go through with each shot maybe to balance or center yourself? Uh, every, every, every four holes I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that, those are the things. It's like limiting and, and recognizing what's going on. Uh, I've played with different professionals, and, and just to hear the way they think the game obviously is different than the way that I think the game. And so here it is, a pin is 150 yards. Immediately I'm like, what's my 150 club? That's not what they're thinking. They're thinking the contours of the setup and, okay, if I miss this shot, where do I want to miss this shot? Uh, I, I'm not going for the flag. I'm going to a point where I can have a six or seven-foot putt and see what happens from there. So in actuality, they're not hitting their 150 club. They're hitting a different club. So I was like, wow. it was just – it was fascinating to hear that because I enjoy – that part of the game as well, because I was very 
meticulous in different things. I knew certain guys who like a rhythm dribble. I knew that Kobe wanted to get to that right elbow. And if I was there, he was going to pump fake, pump fake, then go into his shot. I knew that Dirk Nowitzki wanted his left hand more than anything else. I knew that Ray Allen didn't like the physicality of the game. These are things that I knew because of the meticulous way that I viewed the game and watched how to prepare for certain guys. So it is a challenge each time I play golf to have that mental aspect of, okay, it's a pin this way. Where's the trouble? Where do I want to miss? And so it's something I'm continuously working on each time I play because it doesn't happen all the time. I think our dad listeners out there might, might want to hear about your game. How would you describe your game? You said you're kind of ready to quit like in 2000, what was it? Six and you quit on the ninth hole or whatever. Now where are you well, that, that was, that was when I was really being introduced to it. It was not fun. Yeah. Uh, and, then, That's where you started. and then maybe, yeah. <laughs> then, 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 so, so I don't even consider that. <laughs> I don't even consider that playing golf then, but it was, it was right around 2000, Eight that I, I went with a buddy for his birthday and hit a few shots. So obviously I was a high handicap guy then, but now I'm actually, uh, I'm, I say the index says 6.9, but I don't understand how can it go down so quick when I only had four rounds in the, in the seventies last year, you know, but it, I can't calculate that, but I'm one, I want to get as low as I can. Uh, does that mean scratch? I would love to be able to consistently shoot in the 70s. That is a goal of mine. And so I'm putting the real score in. And I say real score because we have those that won't put the real score in because they want to keep a 12. Now, for those, the first member guest I played in at my, my uh, course that I belong to, I was I, I read those guys the riot act. I said, shame <laughs> on y'all who have never won something in life and now you feel like you got a fudge on your handicap just to win something. I said, Sh- you guys ought to be ashamed of yourself. I mean, we had guys coming out of the woods. We were playing at, 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 on the Oaks course at TPC uh, where they host the Valero Open. Coming out of the woods onto the green, you know, birdies on holes that the pros aren't birding. I'm like, really, you're a 14? And you get this, the classic, ah, oh, wow, I am just on my game today. Man, get out of here with that. But just as in life, you have people that are afraid to be who they are. So I can't knock them for that. What I can do is continue to work on my game and know that, you know what, Mm, I shot an 82 today and I can go back to those three bogeys that I shouldn't have had and just I revel in that kind of stuff. Yeah, thanks, Bruce. Um, What projects do you have coming up and where can – where can our listeners find more about you? Man, you know, every now and then I post things on Instagram at Ohane Osmel Poppy. Um, and uh, uh, Twitter, Bowen12. And, you know, I, I think in the playoffs you'll see more of me via ESPN because that's when my schedule gets heavier for ESPN. Uh, but I, I can't say too much that as far as, oh, I'm going to be here, I'm going to be there because I'm doing so much and with coaching basketball that also takes up a lot of time. We have, we play legacy this weekend, uh, a school that Deion Sanders was coaching at. And 
uh, it'll be interesting because Dallas guys play a different style of basketball, that aggressive, let's get physical type of deal, which is okay with me, but I'm no longer playing. I got to get my guys ready for that. So, fellas, that's that's about it. Uh, I appreciate you guys uh, dealing with my tardiness on, on getting this done. So, thank you all. I appreciate hey, you guys. Appreciate having we appreciate me. it for sure. You've just listened for free. Now here's the deal. Go to our website at birdiedads.com and join us. You will get our golf starters guide and our golf coloring book for kids free right now by signing up. It just takes an email. Thanks for hanging out with us and we'll see you next time.